0: And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. <clears throat> and, th- and this is, uh, as always, this is my favorite segment, um, interview time. And I uh, wanted to have an old friend to the show who's been on several times. Not Never enough, though. Never enough. And truthfully, it's probably because he and I communicate, (laughs) communicate on a regular basis. So I suck what I need out of his brain. And then I, I probably undervalue it as it relates to the you know, familiarity breeds contempt and I, it's not a contempt thing, but I think I just take advantage or take for granted this mind that I've got access to on a regular basis, but we're not doing that anymore. We're going to have him on. He's on with us today None other than Marcos Bueno, the head of Ascent Systematic, the manager of our algorithmic portfolio. Marcos, thank you so much for joining us, pal. Zach, thanks to you. It's always a good time to speak to you here. You well, know, I mean, always, you know.
1: <laughs> it always
0: has been. <laughs> well, I just realized, I was like, you know what, I got to get Marcos on the show because like I said, I'm used to just pumping your brain for info, information all the time. So I get what I need. And then selfishly, I forget to, uh, <laughs> to get you on and share those thoughts. Don't it, worry about it. I don't look. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, you got I'm your shy. hands full, right? I'm you, shy. Uh, I'm and, shy. And, and anybody running a portfolio this year, even an algorithmic portfolio, we've had our hands full, haven't we? We have. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, it's an interesting environment. And for those of you that don't know, not only does Marcos run our algorithmic portfolio, but one of the reason well, one of the reasons that he and I started working together was the algorithmic portfolio, but also his wealth of expertise and, and experience. Marcos was a prop trader for several of the biggest firms on the street, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, name a few. Um, Worked at one of the, was a trader at one of the largest hedge funds in the world, Graham Capital. Marcos has been through a lot of wars um, and looked at it from the institutional side, um, the buy side, as we call it. Uh, And so anyway, it's just, it's great to have you on the show, Marcos. Pick your brain. And let's kind of just jump right into kind of the way that I was thinking about it. You really try to stay out of macro discussions. I've noticed that, but you also really know macro really well. Uh, is, is that is that because kind of walk us through that? You and I have talked about this before, but as a guy that was very value bent, a commodities trader, um, you you know
1: macro. You you've played. I, it, you, I do. You've played I have, in that I, pool. I have a lot of experience in macro. Actually, I was running a billion dollar portfolio for Graham. He was macro. And maybe because of that, I'm not commenting too much these days. Does this go alongside
0: with – I was talking to a new client the other day, and I'm not going to keep interrupting you, but just I want to know what you mean by that. They asked me what I thought about gold, and I said, to know gold really well is to love it and hate it simultaneously. Is it sort of like it's, that, that? It's f- true. It's yeah, true. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, the reason – macro is something that is really easy To talk about it's really easy to sound like an expert uh because it's 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 stories right it's things that are on the news um it's relatively easy to construct a framework that conceptually makes sense common sense makes sense uh but macro markets don't necessarily move on those it moves on what people think of those narratives many times Mm -hmm. So there is a weak link between all the things that we say or think or the things that we think are going to happen and the things that actually happen. Um, Like it's relatively easy to predict what the news are going to be, but that's not the job, really. The job is to predict what prices are going to do, and that's much harder (laughs) because the news news can happen as we predict, but then the, the prices do not So that's why I sometimes, I mean, I keep commenting. Uh, I have my opinions. I have learned not to act on my opinions. And that's why we are running this algorithmic program, because um, we are looking at objective inputs as opposed to subjective inputs or opinions. Uh, So I do have my opinions. I try not to listen to them too much.
0: Well, I listen to them. So, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think you know how often I trade on your opinion. So uh, that's it, just what I think of your opinion. So I, I value it. Um, Thank you. The. It's funny you bring up that macro portfolio. One of the things that one of the things that is really, and I wouldn't say it surprised me. I know that this was exactly what you and I had in, envisioned. When we when we took this approach, right, having our value unconstrained portfolio that very much involves macro and then having the momentum based algorithm, um, you know, the the way that they've complemented each other and they continue to do so, it it really is fascinating to me. And it's made it's made our job easier, but it it has also really convinced me, in my opinion, that for an overall client portfolio, I think that this is the way it should be set up. I think that you should have part of your stock exposure geared toward the traditional value slash macro approach. And I am absolutely convinced you should have a significant portion of your stock exposure or or the other part of your stock exposure, half, uh, which is what we commonly do, um, should be exposed to an algorithmic approach. Do you feel the same way? Do you feel like that, that, that um, our experience running these two portfolios simultaneously has it? Has it yeah. cemented that view that, that that two-pronged approach for you?
1: Definitely. I think that even before we started, um, I've always been of the opinion that there are two ways to make money in the stock market. One is a long-term value approach, value properly done, uh, like Warren Buffett does, like other people do, like you do. I was going to say, like, Bulwark Capital does pretty good at Like, Bulwark, exactly. (laughs) Uh, The other way way is to use the stock market as a tool to make money. Mm -hmm. And this is what the algo does, right? Um, The algo, what it does is takes advantage of kind of inefficiencies of the stock market that are there because people are imperfect. People have emotions and they make mistakes. Um, The algo is designed to be the perfect trader. Not the perfect trader in the sense that it doesn't do bad trades, but it's always doing the right thing. Yes. So it's it's perfect from that perspective. Like we human portfolio managers or traders, we have emotions. We're affected by them. Uh, We have biases. I mean, it's been documented. Um, It's it's proven. Uh, So that introduces things that are exploitable for people that do not suffer from that. And those are the machines. Yeah. Um, uh, And and the real value is because it doesn't have emotions. It's very disciplined in the risk management in a way that a person can never be. A person can be disciplined for a little bit or for some time, but it gets tired, it gets discouraged, it gets emotional, it it gets high, it gets depressed. The algos never do that. So they can implement a risk management approach that is very disciplined at all times. Yeah. And when there's opportunity, he's never going to shy away because he's been burned too many times and he's gun shy. The ALGO is never gun shy when it, when it doesn't have to be. And he's never uh, scared of getting out of things when it has to be. So from that perspective, he's always doing the right thing.
0: You, you, know, you, uh, know, so you, you know when that was really cemented for me is early in the COVID route, we stepped in and bought zoom technologies it, it like if i remember correctly I think it was like 104 105 106 something like that and um it took off right away and i think it got up to like 126 or whatever and we had a really quick 20% pop in it and i just went this thing's too expensive i got to bail right around that same time uh then zoom went on to make you know hit 558 bucks or whatever um <clears throat> now To be fair, when we did that at that time, I think the market was down like 25 to 30 and we were down like five. So, I mean, we were playing it extra cautious, you know, because, you know, I'm sure you I'm sure you feel the same way. But, you know, when you're dancing through the rain and not getting wet and the market's down 25, you want to take advantage of it. But you also don't want to risk giving it back. You know what I mean? And and, and giving up that advantage. But but what was interesting to me is right around the same time we did that, the algorithm picked up Teladoc At like 90, 92, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And it didn't flinch. It rolled that thing up to 200. Then it pulled back by like 15%, like back down to 165. I remember calling you and going, Marcos, is it going to unload this thing? We're sitting on a really nice gain. And you go, just let it do what it does. Held on, rode it back up to like 215, 220, and sold it there. And I just sat there and I went, the Algo, you know, because those were very similar trades, right? Zoom and and That thing is trading
1: 15 right now, right? Yeah, yeah, something. yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, that thing got smoked. <laughs> no, but that's one of the things, right? It's like I've seen it so many times that um, uh, things start to, go, start to fall and the algo gets out. And sometimes I tell myself, no, not here. This is a bad spot. Those are my emotions talking, right? Yep, yep, yep. And guess what? The thing just collapses. Like we had it with Roblox. I think that it was trading at 100. He had a down 12% day. Uh, and I thought it was a really bad moment to get out, and the algo got out, and you never it never traded there again. Yeah, yeah. And I've trading something like ten.
0: Yeah, it's it 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 has it has been it is ab- and I was and you and I have had these conversations because I was a Warren Buffett Ben Graham disciple. There's only one way to do it, and um, you know we've talked about this on the show before. But one of the other things that I hadn't thought about is it's made me a better manager of my portfolio. And the reason for that is, especially in years like 2020 and 2019, that were so momentum driven, in the past, in an effort to keep up, right? In an effort to not grotesquely underperform, it's really easy to drift in terms of style, right? And, and to, to do what we call in the industry style drift, which means getting outside of your lane. Yeah. Um, and what I have found so helpful. Cause we've really had a great run in the value portfolio for the last, you know, two, two, uh, about last two years has been really strong. And, um, one of the only reasons that I was able to stick to my guns is because I had the algo on the other side of me really taking advantage of the, of the momentum move. Um, you know, which, which, which bolstered my confidence and let me not be as concerned about falling behind on a relative performance basis because the other part of the portfolio was picking up the slack. Um, it, it really has it really has advantaged
1: me in that way and, and um, that they complement was... each other really well oh man um, and not only in terms of like when one is working really well um, or basically what it is. when one is not working that well the other normally typically is working well sometimes they work well, well together but it's especially in terms of keeping your peace of mind yeah Yeah. in terms of keeping mental capital yeah uh, typically, value works uh, out of low prices, right? Yep, most of the time. Typically, when we get there, the algo is very lightly invested because prices doesn't ha- don't have a lot of positive trend. That allows you and investors to actually have the mental fortitude to deploy capital because you have you are not in a hole to begin with. Yep, yep. And uh, whereas, whereas if you are like in a passive allocation, 100% invested, the moment when you want to invest, you're actually so scared and sca- scared of having lost so much money that you actually don't, you either ha- don't have the money or you don't have the, that courage to actually deploy money because you've been beaten, beaten up. Whereas this algo, the combination of the two, you actually have the capital. To put it down, and the mental capital to actually do it. So I think it is it resonates with what you say, basically that that having both allows you to be a better manager.
0: Yeah i i I will never I will never go back. Uh, the other thing too is the way that both portfolios have really defended um, capital. You know, you're sitting right here. I think the S and P year to date, you know, we're sitting here eleven thirty on Friday. S and P's down fourteen fifteen. Algorithms down. I want to say just over seven. Uh, value portfolios up about two and a half. Uh, during COVID, the algorithm was only down ten and a half at the bottom. Market was down thirty six, um, and so they both really still fit our risk management. You know th- that risk management profile that that bulwark has. But um, yeah, it, it really is amazing to see to see the amount of outperformance that algo is capable of grabbing, and yet still protecting capital because you know it's momentum. Right. It is momentum. And how have mom, how have most momentum funds done this year? You know, because ARC is a momentum fund. Right. I mean, that's it's a momentum fund. Um, it's run by a pretty bad algorithm, in my opinion. But um, it is a momentum fund. And I think that's a good proxy. Look at how momentum funds have done.
1: It's a momentum
0: fund with no
1: risk management. Right. Right. Where whereas, is is it? So like useless.
0: Yeah. And it's down 55 percent this year. The algorithm's down a little over seven. You know, there you go. Markets down 14,
1: 15 um, you know when Arc? If I, if I can just interject there a little yeah. bit. So when Arc when Arc was firing in all cylinders, we were invested in a lot of the same names. A little bit more conservative, because we're not as we're not very, not crazy. <laughs> uh, uh, so we did, We made a lot of money in those names, but when Arc peaked. Roughly two months before we started, to, the algo started to get a lot of those names because they started to, lo- to lose a lot of oomph, right? They, start, they were starting to lose energy, and then by the time ARC peaked, we were probably only had fifty percent of those names. And two months later, we had none of them, and we hadn't really revisited them since. And those names, many of them, are down ninety percent. So we are able; the algo is able to get on those names where they're hot. But the moment they cool down, it pales.
0: Okay. Now, I want to go – I, I we, we warmed it up um, on the macro front, and you're a very measured guy, which I appreciate a lot, as a matter of fact. Um, and so I, I – you know, and I think you and I have both been doing this long enough to, to know the lack of value in prognostications and predictions – so that's not really what I'm looking to have. That's, that's not where I want this conversation to go. Um, what I want to do is I want the listeners to be able to get the same advantage that I do having these macro discussions with both you and Chase Taylor. Um, but l- l- let's kind of discuss macro a little bit from your perspective. Um, I think the listeners all know what I think. I think the picture is pretty clear. Uh, how the market reacts to that picture in the short term? Who knows? I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, we've been expecting a bear market rally for a while. I I very much think that that's what you're seeing right here. Um, <clears throat> but but how do you see the macro picture? Kind of give me your lay of the land. Um, you know, you can get as granular as you want on certain topics, but you know, give us give us your overview. Um. Including, you know, what you think that that's going to do to corporate balance sheets is going to benefit or excuse me, income statements and, 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 you know, financial wherewithal. Are we in an environment that's going to benefit them? Are the risks overblown? Just kind of walk us out through how you see the world and where the bombs are and where the opportunities are and and, uh, just your macro
1: picture of things. Yeah. Um, It's unclear. Let's put that up front. Um, I don't have a clear perspective right now. Um, When I was last on the show in December, I remember we talked about the importance of November 20 of that year. That's the day Powell got renominated to be uh, head of the Fed. Um, That signaled to the market that he had probably told President Biden that he was going to fight inflation. Because for the president right now, it is a political imperative to fight inflation. That's whether inflation cools down or not is going to determine his re-election or actually uh, the composition of Congress uh, in the midterms. So it becomes a, a political inflation. Fighting inflation became a high priority. And when Biden re-elected Powell, that sent a message to the market that Powell was going to fight inflation. And I made some comments back in the day about uh, how Powell wants to be the new Volcker, and that's been behaving like that. So from that, at that moment, I was kind of relatively clear that um, the priority was fighting inflation. That is still the case. Uh, that has not ch- changed, and that means that uh, the Fed is going to be steady in the interest rates hikes. The problem now is that the prices are down 30% since. So that makes the calculus a little bit more complicated because the dynamic is still the same, but prices are different, very different. And also, kind of the market has caught up with this story. Like now, whereas in December, not many people were willing to listen, now people are buying this wholesale. So I think that that is a little bit too late to play play that theme right now Uh, in the the immediate term, because kind of everybody's on the same boat. Markets have this tendency to be nasty to people that are are too much in agreement or things that are obvious. Uh, So now that it's obvious, people are either underinvested or outright short, market tends to punish that. So what we've seen this week then I made a comment earlier these weeks so like, uh I wouldn't be pressing shorts here. Uh, I continue to think that. I think uh, I wouldn't be aggressively invested either, but I would not be aggressively bearish in the stock market. So it's kind of an area to be not very invested. But if anything, I think we can see a couple of weeks, a few weeks of pressure release until people sort of like forget about this thing we are just talking about. That – even though today it's, it's well-known, I don't think it's run its course. And it will have consequences along two axes, right? One mm-hmm. is that uh, because rates are going higher, inflation going higher, uh, discount rates are going higher, and the impact that that has is that multiples of earnings in valuations will go down. So that's what we've been seeing in the stock market. Multiples have been coming down. The other thing that is a little bit less easy, that is harder to predict, is what happens to earnings. What we have seen so far is that inflation has been outpacing income growth. That means that people are, in real terms, they are not as rich as before. They are actually poorer, so they actually cannot buy that many things. That means that margins compress for corporates. And also coming from a time of record margins, So I think there is room for margins to compress. So we're going to have potentially this double whammy in the medium, like big picture. It's a double whammy of earnings being smaller and multiples being smaller. So that means prices are going to be twice smaller. So that I think that is going to be the dynamic going forward. But when it comes to actually timing that, Uh, It's a little bit more delicate. It's a bit more subtle. Um, Right now, I wouldn't be pressing shorts, even though I think this dynamic continues. That's on the stock market. Um, The other thing that is important uh, to all this is commodities and the dollar, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The dollar has strengthened quite a lot in the last few months. It's a little bit unclear here to me what happens. Uh, if the dollar weakens, that will be favorable for stock markets. But at the same time, if the dollar weakens, commodities will continue to rally, and that will stoke inflation, and that will make the Fed's life more difficult. And then we get into this, like, okay, then multiples compress even more, and potentially margins compress even more. Um, and if the dollar continues, uh, then the U.S. becomes uncompetitive right? the rest of the world. So that is not good either. Um, so it's very unclear what will happen there. Uh, I think the dollar stops here going up. Uh, I think the rest of the world is cheapened quite a lot. Uh, we look at the euro, we look at pound, uh, we look at yen. They have sort of like the, major, the major currencies that have cheapened quite a lot versus the dollar, and that means that those economies are more competitive than in reality, always being equal. Um so I think that the pressure on the dollar is going to stop a little bit. It's unclear to me what happens um, to equities and after that. And then commodities is the other one, right? Mm-hmm. But go ahead. Well, I no, I just
0: – one of the things that I've been looking at, um, and, and you can feel free to disagree, but, but one of the things that I've been looking at and we've talked a lot about on the show is this combination – of commodities in the strong dollar and i think that that's flummoxed a lot of people um but one of the reasons that my outlook uh is so i mean it's not apocalyptic or anything i just you know i I look at the market this year and um i and i could be proven wrong have been before but i feel like one of the easiest predictions to make is the earnings are going to be less this year how much less, we'll have to see. I think that depends on a lot of factors, but earnings are headed south. Um, and when I look at the dollar and crude, I really don't know that there is a twin. You know, I don't know that there is a pairs trade that is worse for global economic growth than the DXY above 100 and crude above 100 at the same time. Would you agree with that?
1: Um, it's a pretty bad combo. Reason It's true. And the reason why, I mean, we have had these dollar strength and crude strength together because it's a supply crunch. Um, right. Uh, we are in a period of crisis because of Ukraine, because we come out of the COVID, uh, because uh, the stance of uh, central banks has changed, particularly the Fed. Um, and typically when dollar rises, uh, crude falls, because it's more expensive for non-U.S. buyers to buy it. Um, but in this case, we have the dollar going higher and the oil going higher because they're both feeding on each other, particularly the crisis in Ukraine. Uh, sanctions on Russia, couple at a time, where we basically have hit the wall of these things we've been talking about for two years is that there hasn't been any investment in supply of crude because it was it was badly seen to to be to be doing that right. So now now we now now the bill is coming due, and we had had this combination timing maybe coincidence, but it's happening today, and that's creating a lot of pain in the world because uh, for the U.S. already cr- crude is expensive energy is expensive but for the rest of the world it's doubly expensive because they they buy it in dollars so it goes higher in dollar terms and then dollars goes higher so it's just again another double whammy that it's probably going to get europe and china already in recession
0: right right um one of the um one of the things that i want to i want to talk to you about along this line and, and i and i and i think you're right um they are headed into i mean at least it, it very much appears at that point um i am a little less optimistic about it. and and when we say the word recession i have said this on the show before they i i feel like that word has so much <laughs> you know so much blood dripping off it for lack of a better recession here it co- you know just like guys A recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, right? So, I mean, you could essentially, and we've had situations like this in the country where the big R word has become so, uh, you know, I don't know what the right word, you know what I mean? There's just so much, so much angst built into that word. Um, You can have a recession and barely feel it, right? It's a technical term. So, I kind of think that the U.S. is, is flirting with it right now. I mean, one more negative GDP print. We were negative in the first quarter. I wouldn't be surprised to see us slightly negative in the second quarter. Maybe not because of the summer travel season and things like that. But um, the 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 thing that I'm looking at this dynamic for the bulls out there, there's a, there's a real problem, a real structural problem with the market out there for those that are bullish. A the macro drop the macro drawback or or backdrop as you and I have been talking about, it is just not constructive to equity prices. I, now that could change. But but that's more of an observation, I think, than, than, a, than an opinion. Um, but the other thing that is not really constructive to me regarding equity prices is what the Fed is currently doing. Meaning if the dollar weakens, ironically, uh, if the dollar weakens and stocks continue to rally, in, in my opinion, you're, that is loading the gun for the Fed with even more bullets, right? It, meaning – I think one of the things, and, and, and I'm going to kind of lay out my thesis here, and you can disagree or agree or whatever, but um, I, I think if, if, if things go well for the bulls, quote, unquote, well for the bulls, I think that becomes the bad news. It's kind of an inverse of the last 15 years, right, where good news is bad or bad news is good news. In this situation, I think good news is bad news, meaning the Fed, um, the, the, the Fed yeah. will have to continue to tighten, wouldn't they?
1: I think if we are. It goes beyond what you said. I think. I think right now, good news is bad news, and bad news is bad news, right? Uh, because the only reason why the Fed will stop rate hikes is if things go bad, right? As in, as in, as in, if we actually enter a, a recession and. Forget about technical terms. Let's see, if there is a slowdown and people are not doing well, uh, that's when they will stop. A proper recession. Uh, yeah, whatever. Like people losing jobs, right? And yeah. People not having money. Um, beyond the technical definition, right? Right. Um, that's, that's not good, right? That's not a good scenario to, to be in. And then if the if things are doing well, then they will um, not stop because they want they must, actually, they must stop inflation, um, and I think they want to, and they will have no fear of doing that. Uh, that's slightly trickier, um, but yeah, is given that the markets fear is actually rate hikes, that's not good either, right? So it's kind of like it's kind of that situation where, wow, um, the only thing that can stop price is falling is that they get to the point where so like everything's priced in that's kind of hard hard to figure out
0: yeah the other interesting thing that i've been watching is this trend and i think now i always want to be careful when you're saying this and i could be proven wrong again but one of the things i think is really interesting is how oil and commodities i mean obviously oil and and oil stocks energy stocks commodity stocks have continued to move higher as the broader indexes here in the United in the U.S. have fallen, um, but when the market goes up, ener- the energy complex is almost it, it, again. I don't know how many days, but the vast majority of time, you see these things rallying together, right? And then really, energy just giving back a lot less on down days, and sometimes going up regardless. But that's another interesting dynamic because I'm sitting there going, "Guy, I, Marcos, I keep looking at this market, which to me has made a complete sea change, has made a dra- radical shift, um, and and a you know a shift from a trend and, and a set of a framework basically, an economic framework that has been in place for 15 years, and I think it's made a massive sea change." And I see so many of the old rules being applied, right? Oh, market up, oil and energy stocks have to rally with it. I think it's really interesting because I sit there and I go, "Look, guys, if oil and commodities continue to rally, for the most part, you're sucking earnings right
1: out of the S and P five hundred, right?" You are definitely doing that. Um, I mean, you are shifting earnings from one side of the S and P to the other side of the S right. and P. Guess what? You're taking you're taking earnings from. A heavy weight in the S and P into a low weight of the S and P, right, right, um, and that, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we remember this conversation we had probably like nine months ago, where we like you we said something like you hear that noise in the background. That's does, does the commodity vacuum yeah. sucking discretionary income out of po- people's pockets, right? Yeah, uh, when when you're heating oil. When your gas, when your electricity costs more, you have less money to buy other things
0: well there in so there's a headline I want to read you and it's just it 's fascinating to me and again i anything can happen, but you know I think that one of <laughs> I think one of the key things in being an investor and then just being a human being in general is sitting back and looking at the landscape in front of you and I I hate using the word reading the tea leaves because we're not trying to predict the future, but just properly trying to assess where we're currently at. And, And this is what is interesting to me is I see so many of these old paradigms being graphed on top of this current market, and I think that they just could not be more irrelevant. Uh, I'm looking at a headline here that says U.S. savings rate hits lowest level since 2008, but it's no big deal because consumer spending is expected to hold up even with inflation surging. Okay.
1: Yeah, That, that doesn't make a lot of
0: sense. Right? It, 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 that's, that's completely moronic. The savings rate is at the lowest level because of the people are being taxed, right? Inflation is a tax. And if you think you're going to see 5 to 8% inflation, and consumer demand hold in there you 're out of your mind here here 's another thing that I think is really fascinating and 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 again, this is my take. Square me away if i 'm wrong because i i 'm more interested in hearing what you think about this. so one of the things that I thought of I, one of the things that I am most bearish about right now that I think is getting very overlooked. Uh, By the average investor I think most professional investors are You know what, I will even say that even most professional investors That I've been listening to It has shocked me how little time and focus They seem to be putting on this But as I've said on the radio show so many times The guy that's been pouring the drinks For the last 15 years has left the party Until inflation drastically settles down The Fed is handcuffed And to me, I just think that that is a huge deal Um, And one of the reasons I think that that's a big deal, and I think you could be looking at a bit, bit of a double whammy here, is if you go back to COVID and you look at what the Fed's response was during COVID, right? They, they basically printed and, and sprayed, you know, made it rain to the tune of about $6.5 trillion, right? And that equaled somewhere, that ended up resulting in about 15 to $20 trillion of, I think it was more like $15 trillion of, of uh, new market cap. Um, on the S&P 500. And not only is the Fed pouring money and or, or excuse me, not only is the Fed pulling back, but markets have pulled back, right? I, I think as the Fed has been the biggest source of liquidity and the biggest booster to the economy, I think the stock market's reaction to that stimulus has been another big boost to the economy. You know, the old adage of the market isn't the economy or the economy isn't the stock market while that's still true to a degree, I think that that is less true today than it was at any other time. And, and the reasons for that is, A, the record amount of average retail people that are, that are pouring money into the, uh, into the market you know, via free trades and Robinhood and apps and all that other kind of stuff. And if you don't think the money that they've made in crypto and high-flying tech stocks has not been a boost to the economy um, – you know, I don't really know what to say to you. I think that there's been a direct link. But in my opinion, even more important link, something that I've got an interesting purview from my side of the business is that when markets pull back 15 or even 20 or 25 percent, and you consider that the largest generation, well, up until the millennials, but, but you know, stick with me here, the largest generation in the history of the United States is the baby boomers. They're also the most wealthy generation. And every single day. As a percentage, right, of of them that is working, the, the number of them that is retired is literally growing every single day, which means that their spending is reliant on the performance of their portfolio. And as markets go down, their paycheck is shrinking, right? At the same time, their cost of living is going up via inflation. And so one of the things that I think is really a threat to consumer spending, Marcos, and a, and, a, and a threat to the and a threat to the economy in general is
1: markets pulling back. Do you think there's Do you think there's anything to that? I think there's a lot to that. I think there's a direct relationship between people's behavior and the behavior of the stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen it in myself, and I've seen it in others. When your portfolio is doing well, you feel flush, and you're like a little easier on the spending. When your portfolio is not doing well. Then it's the opposite. And I hadn't thought so much about the retirees, but it's a, f- it's a very good point. When your actual income is basically your portfolio and you're potentially consuming some of the principal every year, when your principal goes down by 30%, your behavior changes dramatically, Right.
0: Well, we, yeah, and we saw that dynamic in play at the end of 2018. Remember, we had that market plunge at the 20, end of 2018, right prior to yes. Christmas. Okay. And then they were doing the post-mortem on it in, in, in uh, January and February, and everybody goes, oh, that's why the market dropped, because the consumer spending metrics came out, and it said consumer spending in the fourth quarter was down 9% from the previous year. Oh, that's why the market dropped. And we went, no, consumer spending was down because the market dropped. Yes, And and if you think about it, if you're a retiree going into Christmas and you just took a 20% haircut, you're not going to buy as many G.I. Joes with the Kung Fu grips for the grandkids, right?
1: Completely. And actually, this was during the bull market. That was kind of official Fed policy. Uh, The whole idea was to make assets go up in value. People will feel wealthier. And as a result, they will spend more. And they even call that the wealth effect. They said to everybody, let's make stock markets go up. Let's make houses go up. People will feel wealthier and they will spend more. So that is a way to stimulate the economy. Right? That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. Uh, now we don't hear that much about it, but there is no reason to think that what, way, that what worked on the way up will not work on the way down. The opposite, in the opposite way, obviously. Uh, now they don't talk about that that much, but I think uh, it's there. Marcos, why is that from the street? One of the things that
0: puzzles me um, is that, and, and I've learned this honestly the hard way, which is probably how the majority of us learned it, but I learned um, along the way, the hard way, that if you're going to be an investor, something you need to constantly be paying attention to is central bank central bank policy and currency? Um, I hear a lot of people touting that on the way up, right? Central bank support. What I'm consistently and guys, the reason I say this is if you want to see really compelling correlations, look at stock markets and compare it to M2, which is the money supply. It's not base. M2 is M2 is like. I think M. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think M1 is, you know, bank reserves, things of that nature. M2 is like actual. Isn't M2 like cash? Uh, what, um, what, what is it? What is and the and bank, tech- bank and bank reserves and bank reserves? Yeah. If you look at the if you look at the money supply and the stock market, they're extraordinarily linked. The correlation is really unmistakable. Why is it that so many people seem to recognize that? and will gladly use that as an argument to to and correctly in my opinion to bolster or or support their bullish positioning but yet you see so many of those actors remaining long and staying bullish even as the fed is pulling back what yeah, have you it's just a, and now I know that there's a lot that don't but the number that do that that are that you know that cite the Fed put and the Fed you can't fight the Fed you can't fight the Fed then the Fed withdraws uh, you know withdraws liquidity starts ramping down QT and they're still bullish all the same stocks what a have you noticed that and B what do you attribute that to. I make my living out of that. So. Yeah, right, right. Well, I think what, what I've learned, Marcos, what I've learned, and you and I have talked about this extensively, is that all these things that we think that matter, valuations and all that kind of stuff does, it, it matters. You want to pay attention to it. But the one thing I have learned is that when central banks are pulling back in liquidity, get out of the bloody way. Well, yes. Why Why is it that, that so many others look past that?
1: Uh, for the reason we said, at the beginning of this interview is that people have emotions. Mm. People, people do not always do the right thing. Um, people have biases. They have behavioral biases. And one of them is that when we as a person have an opinion, we are always happy to hear arguments that support our opinion. And we are never happy to hear arguments that go against our opinion. And we are going to ignore those. So when we find something that supports us, we're going to listen to that and talk talk to other people about it. But when we find something that goes against our opinion, uh, we're going to suppress that and we're going to ignore it. And that is hardwired in all of us. And that's what's happening there. It reminds me of the Kathy Wood,
0: uh, again, not trying to beat up on her. I just think there's so many valuable lessons to learn from watching this whole arc episode. Uh I don't know if you saw that, but she was basically looking into the camera going, the market's wrong. We're not wrong. Our approach is right. Yes, of course. We're up. It's the market that's wrong. I've gotten to the point now where whenever I hear somebody say that, I just it, it, I, it, it, sends chills yes. through, it sends chills through my spine. I'm like, oh, now you can think the market is wrong, but don't bet the house on it for crying out loud, right?
1: You know what? Even when the market is wrong... The market is right right (laughs) and you know why because the money that you make or don't make depends on when the market does and if the market is wrong that's what's going to determine how much money you make right so you may think the market is wrong and you may be right but if the market continues to be wrong your money is going to be lost yep and that's what our job is to make money so market can be wrong it doesn't matter Recent and and we saw saw that we saw saw that. Sorry, no, no, quite an important point. Uh, We saw that in things like Tesla and all these technology stocks that were losing money and they were no viable business. And you know what? They should have gone down, and they didn't go down. They went up, and they didn't went up a little bit. They went up ten times, twenty times. The (laughs) market, the market was wrong, but it doesn't matter. The market is right even when it's wrong because. And if if you bet that the market is wrong and say, I'm gonna short these names, um you get blown out of the water, literally. You yeah. go you, you go bankrupt. And well, many people did actually. Look yeah. at Melvin.
0: Yeah, jeez. Yeah. Um that yeah, that guy. Well, I, I I actually want to talk to you about that. But one 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 other thing though, I think I I also think recency bias. I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this, just because I've been shocked. I I've just now the markets had a rough year, but when you consider the backdrop and the level of angst, and I think about where the S and P is currently valued, I think about where it's come from, and then I look at it and I'm like, um, hey guys, this really isn't any pain. I mean. When I, you know, I mean, I understand why people feel that and, I, and I'm not rubbing salt in the wounds. But if, if you're one of those people out there thinking, oh, well, this is the worst it can get or we've bottomed, I'm just sitting there going, what? Um, one, I, and, and I think it has a lot to do with recency bias. And people are like, what do you mean? Well, it gets into the whole pain thing, right? And you know, I know you and I have talked a lot about this and this is not something new to investors. But, you know, they've proven this in so many different experiments and so many different uh, trials That the pain of loss is far greater than the euphoria of winning, right? And so people are like, well, why aren't people worried about the pain of loss? I think they are. But what has the pain of loss been over the last 15 years? The pain of loss has been not buying the dip for 15 years, right? The pain of loss has been not buying the dip. So I finally had that realization the other day. I was like, why aren't people afraid of pain? They are, which is why they're buying. Right, Because the only pain that you have felt over the last
1: 15 years is not buying the dip, right? Definitely. Definitely. The, people, the recency bias is a real thing. It is a real thing. Uh, people, have, uh, people judge. They tend to extrapolate, basically. And people uh, attach more value to recent events, and they think that will continue. And they really have a hard time catching regime changes. I mean, we all do. Uh, people with more experience have more ability to do it because they've been burned before, um, so they're kind of more attuned to that. But we have had we have a whole generation generation of investors that have never seen a regime change, uh, so those are a lot of people that are in a lot of pain. In addition to that, 2021 had. Inflows in the equity market that were larger than net net inflows that were larger than the twenty years before all combined so one so so you had more inflow in more net inflows in one year than you had in the previous 20 years combined. what happens? the market do, drops fifteen eighteen percent that eighteen fifteen eighteen percent is on a huge amount of money so the losses are staggering even though in percentage it's not huge. In actual dollars, it's massive because the mo- the money that ha- was invested it was just extraordinary. And people feel more in dollars than in percentage. And they had a ton of money invested. That's part of the thing yeah. that is happening here. So it's a combination of the, okay, I'm buying the dip, it's not working. This is the worst I've ever seen in my 18 months of investing to make the joke uh, <laughs> and, and make, I actually make our clients have a heart attack man <laughs> uh, so basically people a lot of people that haven't been in the market for very long they say this is the worst I've I've seen and probably it is true that it's the worst they have seen but that doesn't mean very, very much uh, because we should look at a uh, hundred years of history um, and then they probably had a lot of capital at risk and they have lost way more than they ever thought they would lose because during their time, we never really had a bad, bad market. And when we had it, the Fed was there to save everybody. They did it in 2018, and they definitely did it in 2020. So the people that have been invested in the market for the last five to seven years, every time there was a big sell-off, Grandpa Fed was there to save your butt. Yep. But they're not here this time. Yeah, they and, and, they and they don't want to. No, and that that is that is what a lot of people have missed is that the regime changed means that the Fed is not there to bring your homework to the school when you forgot it. <laughs> the dog ate it, man. Yeah. Uh,
0: um, okay, so I want to get a little ethereal here, and this is okay. something I've been meaning to talk to you about for a while. Just because I want to know a little bit of your process and. For those of you listening, this is going to be ethereal. It's going to be somewhat anecdotal. I am going to be the opposite of uh, of so many of these other podcasters that are going to tell you, well, this data and this data point, blah, blah. One thing I've noticed in my career is that the biggest wins I have had and the highest winning percentage plays that I have had have always been the ones that I have waited the longest for. And... What I mean by that is that my biggest wins, my best trades have come from things or relationships that I have one of the and I and I know you're you're of the same mind. But at least once a quarter, I try to get somewhere where I can spend an entire day and an evening, at least uh, away from phones, away from computers um, and even away from the kids. Um, You know, not like far away, but, you know, send them to grandma's house for a night or something like that where I can just sit and read and think. And uh, my wife laughs at me because I'll be just zoned out, leaning back on the couch, just staring at the ceiling sometimes for an hour, hour and a half. And just, you know, writing some things down, just going through things. And w- the ideas or the relationships or the, or the things that I have come up with during those periods of times have always led to those greatest trades, um, those greatest investment periods. And I'll give you some examples. Um, one of the first that I can remember in my career was the housing crisis. I was sure housing was going to crash. I had no idea about how bad the, the situation had metastasized in the big banks. Um, I look back at myself at that point. I think I was you know, 25, 26-ish going into that, 27. Um, very new in my career. And I knew a bubble when I saw it. I had no idea the underlying impacts and quite honestly put a gun to my head. I thought it'd probably result in a run-of-the-mill 25 to 30% pullback in the market and then would yield some good buying opportunities. But I did think it was going to be a problem. And one of the things that I looked at was um, when you see rates starting to go up and you see defaults starting to jump, get short and get careful. And uh, that resulted in a 22% gain from the end of 2007 to the bottom of um, uh, 2009. Now, part of that was luck. Um, you know, in anybody that tells you a great trade like that isn't somewhat lucky, right? You think of the guys that went short, or or went, you know, bought credit default swaps against mortgages back in two thousand four, right? A lot, there were a lot more guys in that trade than people think, and some of them got flat out washed out. You know, they got taken, they got taken out on a stretcher. Um, so the timing of that was lucky. Another one was sitting back and thinking about when the Fed hikes rates for the first time. And one the—and I don't want to spend an hour walking through my logic with this, but one of the things that I said or I thought about, and this was probably a good two years before it happened, was when the Fed starts hiking rates. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was a narrative as it related to gold that um, when interest rates start going up, gold gets hammered. Right Now, there yep. are times in the past where that has worked, but it, that is a very incomplete way to view it because the other thing is, is go look at gold's inflation-adjusted all-time high at the end of the 70s, early 80s. Gold made a pretty good run-up with rising interest rates at that time, too. Now, you had negative real rates, but bottom line is there were so many people parroting this like it was just a law. And it reminds me of the old Wall Street adage, right? Buy the rumor, sell the news. And that's kind of the way I was approaching it is I thought, okay, when the Fed hikes the first time, if gold is positive two trading days after that, I'm going to step on it. I'm going to step on it because there are so many people that are, you know, that are looking at it in this way. I just figured it had to swing back. Over the next four months, five months, I want to say gold went up 25% and we netted out about 110% gain on gold miners. Um, but we are entering a phase now and I've had a couple others, but those are just some of my, my biggest, uh, uh, most poignant ones. The one that I have thought about the longest over this entire cycle. And, and I've spent hours and hours and hours researching and thinking and all this kind of stuff. And the thing that I always came back to was as long as inflation stays subdued, the party will continue. But when inflation starts becoming a problem, don't listen to anybody tell you it's transitory. Don't listen to anybody tell you it's not going to be a problem. Steal yourself and make sure that when inflation starts becoming a problem, you take action. And here we are. And it's one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about this year. And, you know, the value portfolio is now up about 3% on the year. So things haven't been going bad. But... I've been wanting to pull back at certain times, thinking about pivoting, right? The emotions start coming into play. And the thing I keep going back to is Zach, every time you've ever deviated, you know, when you, when you, when you really feel like you've got that, you've always regretted it, right? Um, a, do you do things in a similar way? Do you think about things that way? And now we'll get into my psyche as an investor a little bit. So I kind of want you to pay, play psychologist here. Um, do you think it's healthy for me to view things in that way, or do you think I'm just setting myself up for failure? Kind of throwing throwing a lot at you right there. Kind of vulnerable, okay. but I would
1: like to hear you. You know, play play psychologist. Um, let me attack it from the side. My wife has around fifty people working for her. And you, and, tells- and just
0: just for the listeners, just so they know, much like my scenario. Far out kicking my coverage and marrying a, a woman that is far too beautiful and far, far too smart to be with me. Um, I don't mean to insult you, but you fall under that same category.
1: Uh, we're both good traders. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, yeah. We're excellent traders when it comes to the
1: spouse picking, right? Um, so she always tells her people, stop being so busy. Mm hmm. Why? Because when you're busy, 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 you don't think. You don't. You forget the big picture. Mm. You don't think about the next steps that are going to make you succeed. Uh, it is important to take a step back and think and not be busy, right? And let the mind wander into new things mm. uh, and be able to let the mind. Leave the mind that space to connect the dots. You have the information, just let it gel into something concrete and let it become the epiphany. If you don't do what you do, you don't have the epiphany. Right. You need to be going for a walk, you need to just sit on your couch. Uh, I go for runs. Sometimes I just go for a walk with no phone and I don't know where I'm going Mm -hmm. and those are the times when the dots dots get connected and then you have these clear ideas or the things that you know that your brain is able to connect them in a random way we don't know how that works and then you see the epiphany it's like oh this is clear I get it this is how it is and so I think what, what you do is not only useful it's necessary I think that you might, We all must do that. Yeah. So I think I think what you just told me makes a lot of sense. Is that that is like, if you do that, I think it's a very healthy habit. the
0: the other The other thing I found, and one of the reasons that I make sure to have time to do that, is that when those opportunities, you know, I think people, and this is something again that I've learned in time, and so the average retail investor probably doesn't know this, but I think one of the dangers of not doing that, at least from my perspective, is. When the opportunity comes, you know, it's not just about getting it right. It's also about getting it right and having the conviction to stick
1: with it. Right, That's the patience side of things, right? Right. Um, everybody says be patient with investment. Uh, and they are, well, it's a double-edged sword. Um, because sometimes you don't want to be patient, uh, especially when it's going wrong. Uh, but... There is a, a lot to say about being patient, staying in the trade. We need to be patient getting into the trade, so we don't want to be early because being early is wrong. As you've mentioned about the the guys that were doing CDSs in 2004 instead of 2007, they were too early, uh, so they, they were not patient enough. Uh, but it's very important to be patient staying in the trade when it's going the way you wanted it to go. And if we look at studies, and there have been books written about this, and, and actually, this is another plug here. This is basically what the Algo does. The, the way to really make money, particularly in stocks, is to stick to your guns when things are going well. And why is that? Because stocks have this asymmetry, that they can only fall so much Let's say you buy 100, you can only lose 100, but you can make 100, 200, 400, 1,000. There's no limit to how much you can make. Now, it doesn't happen very often. You don't have the kind of wins, but when you find those wins, you really need to stick to them because they can really take you very far. Um, So you are doing the right thing. And the thing is that, and you kind of touch upon that, doing that goes against everything we normally believe in. We're not wired to do that. We're wired to take the money and put it in our pockets because we're too scared to lo- lose the money that we made. And you're saying, like, you said that. It's like every time you've done that, I regretted it. Because when you when you have a winner, you have to stay, you have to stay with it because and it's asymmetric. And two, actually finding a winner is really hard. Yeah. So when you find one, just don't let it go, right? Yeah, and you got to squeeze it for all it's worth right exactly
0: um yeah that's that's been and and you know i I, and I like to be i think you and i are similar this way um you know some people might hear me saying this and think you're setting yourself up for failure not really i, I because i'll be the first to admit hey i could be wrong um <laughs> i've been wrong plenty of times i just know personally speaking that that whenever i have deviated or not stuck to my guns on those calls really, without exception, I have regretted it. And um, that's one of the things I keep reminding myself. Now, am I closely watching data to make sure that the situation doesn't evolve away from, right? Because I'm looking at this, I firmly believe that inflation is going to be much more persistent, much more pernicious and much more longer lasting than most people think. I don't think it's the Weimar Republic. I just think that Debt servicing expenses are going to be high. I think you've had all-time earnings on the S&P. Those are coming down. I think you're going to see margin compression. I think you're going to see – I mean, we're already seeing it in in so many companies coming out and announcing layoffs, announcing slowdowns in hiring. Even companies that seem to be doing really well, right? Like NVIDIA came down and said they were pausing or drastically slowing hiring. Um, You look at all these things. You look at commodities going up and – You know, I am paying very close attention to the reality on the ground. And if it changes, then I will have to adjust my view. But the one thing I keep reminding myself is don't get shaken out, right? Stick with it. You've been waiting for this for about 10 years. It's here. Um, Stick with it. It, Have you had a longer-term view on the inflation scenario? Have have you— Thought about things in a in a similar, maybe different, but similar way to 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 me. Have you thought over the last cycle, uh, over the duration of the last cycle, that when the inflation kicks in, that's that's going to be the time to get out?
1: Like I've always thought um, that he, over my lifetime, sustained inflation was the biggest risk that I had. Yeah, um, because you have two, three years of ten percent inflation, which is not out of the question, or like let's call it five years, and You know why you lost half your money. Right. Um, The way I think about inflation is slightly different than the way you think about it, but um, it kind of leads to the same conclusion. It's like when we had low interest rates, actually the velocity of money came down quite a lot. So even though the Fed and central banks were printing a lot of money, there was no inflation because people – Money stopped circulating. That's the velocity of money. The people um, uh, were holding cash because holding cash had very low cost of opportunity, opportunity costs, right? Because you're not getting anything for it. Um, so um, actually, people were holding to their cash. When inflation accelerates, the opposite dynamic happens. Velocity of money, I think. There is a high risk that it will accelerate, and it would accelerate on a huge hard money base because so much money was printed. So, if we get into this dynamic in which people don't want to hold cash because it's depreciating, and we have this huge amount of it's like a dam that breaks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that can lead to an inflation acceleration, and it, there is a risk that the Fed is always behind and the mod the mod. The more they hide rates, the more inflation goes up because – sorry, they, they, inflation goes up, people get rid of the money, uh, it accelerates, accelerates, and it has the, same, the opposite effect as when rates were held artificially low. And there is this dam that is breaking that there is a huge amount of water behind, as in the, the money that's been printed for 10 years. Uh, so that is high risk. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think it's a high risk that is happening and sort of like the, uh, we are on a treadmill here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is accelerating.
0: Yeah, sure, it sure seems like that to me. Um, <clears throat> so in closing here, I know you're a busy guy. You don't have all day to sit here. Uh, but in closing, anything else on a macro level that you're keeping a really tight eye on um, or anything about the markets in particular that you find – compelling that we haven't covered? What, do you, what What are the things you're watching the closest right now? Right now, I don't
1: have one of those. Okay. Um, I am fairly you're comfortable. Owl go. You're such an algo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I could make something up, uh, but I'm still so <laughs> my style. Uh, so right now, I am very happy watching the um, watching the action. I uh, sometimes do this. Like uh, I, I think that we are in the regular season right now. It's a fight, and we'll wait for the playoffs to pick our team. Because mm. mm. uh, the goal is to win the Super Bowl, right? So, well, we, I don't want to. I don't want to pick a team at the beginning of the year. I want to pick a team in the playoffs. I have yeah. more chances of winning. Uh, right now, I think that there is a bit of a foot fight going on. Um, I don't have anything that is. I'm banging the table about it. Uh, I'm just really watching and waiting for that epiphany to come. I don't really have it right now. Um, but when I have it, I will tell you.
0: Okay. Well, I appreciate it as always, sir. And it's always great to have you on the show and, um, let's see, we're, 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 I think we're getting together in two weeks, aren't we? Yes. Two weeks. Yes. Two weeks. You're going to, you're going to make the, now, are you going to be flying in from London or flying in from New York at that point? Flying from New York. Okay, fantastic. I just yeah, I yeah. get excited. I get excited when you're heading back to when, when you're coming back to this side of the pond, man. It just feels like, you know, just it, it feels like we've got one of our <clears throat> feels like we got one of our generals back stateside. You know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> thank, lo- thank you. Lo- looking forward to seeing you, pal. And as always, great to have you on the show. And for those of you that don't know, I'm sure most of you do. I would recommend following Marcos at at Mark Gutman One. On Twitter, nine. Mark oh, excuse at Mark me, nine. at Mark Gutman nine. See number number nine on Twitter, but one number one in our hearts. Excellent. I, uh, <laughs> so Thank you. Mark, Mark Gutman nine on Twitter, and uh, just just great stuff. It's it's very rare um, that you get the chance to be able to get a guy with Marcos's backdrop and 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 his experience and his chops. And, um, it, it's very much worth your time listening to and, and reading his thoughts. And, and then also somebody that is so pragmatic, uh, you've helped keep me level. Cause I, I don't know if you notice this, but, but I can be a little more excitable than you. Uh, <laughs> so you, you helped me keep my feet on the ground, pal, which I appreciate as always. So, so thanks again for I'm coming hard. on and, and God bless, uh, you and the fam and, and good health to y'all. And, uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks.
1: Thank you, Zach. He's All pleasure, right. As um, always.
0: All right, you guys. Well, thank you for, for listening, and I hope you enjoyed our discussion with Marcos and, and the ethereal side, the macro side, the whole breakdown. Uh, we've got just a, we really have a murderer's row of uh, uh, interviews coming up. We've got Grant Williams coming up in the, in the, in the next few weeks. We've got uh, Hugh Hendry coming on in the next few weeks. Got some great guests for you, so you're not going to want to miss it. Anyway, as always, we'll be back next week. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you then. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.